um, <laughs> I was kind of like, my hair was on fire. I was like, I have to do something. You right. know, I was almost hyperventilating, right, right, right. Going, but this is terrible. And, yeah. and how come I didn't know about this? And right. then I looked around and I thought, well, from the way they're behaving, it seems like a lot of other people don't True. know about this stuff either. And so I desperately wanted to do something. Um, but I was still just, you know, uh, recovering management consultant and wannabe writer. I love that. Um, and so that wasn't a very compelling platform. Um, and then I happened to make friends with this guy via the Royal Geographical Society in <laughs> London. Um, make friends with this guy who had rowed across the Atlantic um, with, of all people, his mother. Oh. Welcome to the Habits to Goals podcast with Martin Grunberg. It's time to take control of your life. Are you ready to achieve goals faster and more consistently than ever before? You need the habit factor. You're listening to Habits to Goals, the podcast that helps you create the habits that lead to success. And here is Martin Grunberg. All righty. Welcome back, Habits to Goals listeners. Thank you so much for joining me. We have an unbelievable episode in store for you. And I'm I, you're probably thinking I say that all the time, but I got to tell you, I have hunted down, and I got to be careful when I say that, this woman, maybe for years, um, there's a great background story. I'm sure we will get into how, how our worlds have collided, but I have, and I got to be careful how I say that, dragged Roz Savage into the studio it's a gorgeous Southern California, San Diego Sunday, and here we are grinding, working hard on your behalf. So, Roz, how are you today? <laughs> it's a real pleasure to be here, Martin. I can't believe that we've been like in each other's orbit all these years, yeah. and this is the first time that we've actually met in person. Um, I it did sound a bit stalkerish, you know, like <laughs> hunting me down, yeah, hunting, dragging, dragging me you. in here like by the hair. Yeah. Um, no, Sorry I actually <laughs> I, I do want you to know, dear listeners, that I I am actually here of my own accord and very very willingly. <laughs> That's beautiful. And I love your accent. I forget. How, I've been how practicing for a long your, yeah, time. Yeah, how yeah. charming your accent is. So, Roz, I, as we, we kind of touched on earlier, and I, I know you're a fan of the show, so I know you know how we kick things off with what we call the Good Things Report, the GTR. This could take you, the whole show. Yeah, yeah. So the question So many is, good things. You can defer to me or uh, you can take it and then we just exchange a couple good things. Well, I suppose seeing as I've just arrived from an English winter, I do have to say the sunshine is definitely top of my list of good That's things so today. Awesome. How long were you in England? Um, well, I <laughs> right, you're always there. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so I've it. spent I spent a lot of time in the US over the years, but now I'm based in Windsor, just outside Windsor. of London, and just down the road from the Queen's got a little five hundred room thousand year old <laughs> castle up the street. That's so fantastic. It is. Wow. Um, but what, well, it's 2018. It's a fantastic year so far. Apparently the year of the divine feminine, just so you know. Wow. And I'm well, already that's you. <laughs> doing my bit, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing a lot of good things happening after, you know, the last couple of years have been interesting on both sides of the Atlantic. Sure. sure. Um, <laughs> but I'm feeling tremendously positive. 
about this year. There are cool synchronicities and serendipities happening, which is always a good sign. Wow. It's like a little wink from the universe that somebody's in charge, despite appearances to the contrary. (laughs) Well, everything's a test. Uh, Indeed. Well, my GTR, I'm going to... I'm going to break my own rule and hit you with with two. The first is I did, and I feel like I might have shared this on another interview, but in a different sense. So occasionally I'll do my little speaking gigs, and and we did one here in San Diego, Junto Global, which is, if you've heard of Junto, Benjamin, it's like, what has Benjamin Franklin not done? So Look it up later, but it's an incredible forum group, and it may even have some relevance to what we were talking about before. So anyways, at the end of that, and I've done this before, but but I throw out, hey, one of the most valuable things that that I've done is become a big brother, volunteer, to, it's just a program we have in America. I don't know if you're familiar with it. The point is, Sounds the reason good. it's a GTR, so 20 years ago, my my little was 10 and a half. Today, he's 30. <laughs> um, How did that happen? But, but I'm sharing this to this group because they're incredible young men, mostly. And I'm just saying, if you're on the fence, reach out, let me know. And, and a couple guys did. So I think they're on the track to becoming big brothers. And I love that. So that's my GTR. The other, I let the cat out of the bag. So... In a few days-ish, I turn a half century, which is so horrible. Um, but some of my very best mates, my best buddies, took me to something I'd never do, which is Tory Pines watch the pro golf tour. We had this VIP suite, all the food, all the drinks. So I'm still, that was Friday. Good thing we weren't trying to do this yesterday. So, um, Can I just share something yes, from the other side of 50? Absolutely. Because I turned 50 on the 23rd of December. Not a great date to have a birthday. Yay, thank you. Um, and I gave myself the best birthday gift ever last year, which was to bring together 35 of my bestest girlfriends from around the world. And we rented a country house in the east of England. And we had for a long weekend, wow. a cross between a conference and a party and a sleepover. <laughs> and it was um, when you bring together, I'm sure you good. like get this with your male buddies, but when you bring together 35 really sort of engaged, passionate, smart women, just right. sparks fly, friendships are formed, uh, support networks yes. are woven. It was just absolutely brilliant. So even now I'm still riding <laughs> still high buzzing. on that wave. Right. I'm still buzzing. Well, that's fantastic. And I touched on it in the open. I'm going to give the the reader slash listener a bit of background. In the event you don't know, Roz is, is it's hard to encapsulate actually everything she does, but, but I want to, before I even get there, set the table. Almost like when I didn't know what she did or who she was, and it was just, it was either like um, a Google alert or somebody pointed out, but you had blogged about the habit factor and you said something like, you said something like, and at the end of the day, I check off my habits that are helping, helping me, helping me, helping me get closer to my goals. And I love this lady. So I reach out to her and then I reading about your background and I'm just blown away. Like, wow, I cannot believe so 
So the, the short synopsis is, at the time, I believe you had rode across the Pacific. Is that possible? If I had the... done the Pacific, I would have done the Atlantic as well, because the Atlantic was okay. my first one. I think uh, just your... to clarify, like road as in with a W in it. Yeah. Like road R... in a rowboat. Right, in a <laughs> rowboat. R-O-W-E-D. Yes. Right. Some so... people are like, you rode your bicycle yeah, across no, an ocean? No, no, not <laughs> no, that's R-O-D-E. Yeah, yeah. Road <laughs> across the ocean. That's hopefully the Atlantic and the Pacific. But but I think it was your first one. So it was you just finished the Atlantic. Yeah, I did the Atlantic in two thousand and five to six. Okay, and that was your first. That was my first. Yes. So and I'm trying to think no, because anyways, I don't want to bore the listener. The point <laughs> is because the book came out in like two thousand. Oh, the app came out in oh nine. So it was maybe it was the Pacific. Well, the Pacific. Um, I had a failed attempt <clears throat> in 2007, but long story, failure. and then uh, right. I had a learning experience in 2007, right. um, and then three successful stages from San Francisco to Hawaii to Kiribati to Papua New Guinea in 2008, 9, and 10. So this is the background. We're going to get into... And little... don't forget the Indian Ocean, 2011. No, we're not going to get... <laughs> we're we're going to get into all of that. So ultimately, she ends up rowing with a w <laughs> uh, atlantic pacific and indian ocean but my first meeting greeting and attraction was via the habit factor mm. which is so bizarre so i have to share the story because this is the habits to goals podcast and i love bringing in incredibly interesting personalities change makers like yourself thought leaders so, so that's a bit of the background, how we have met. And, and now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, so if that's 09, 010, we're here eight years later. So, so our paths have Time kind flies. of inter, intersected over the years. And we were threatening to do this interview two or three years ago. And again, I've dragged her into the studio willingly, so to speak. So, so now that everybody's caught up, let's, Let's set the table on just just the background. Like you grew up in England, mm-hmm. and could take us a little bit through that. Your home mm, home um, life or school or what you were interested <laughs> in. I mean, yeah, we, we don't have to do a super deep dive, but just just a little. Yeah, you certainly overview. you would not have guessed what I would end up doing from my childhood. Um, my parents were both Methodist preachers. Wow. Um, See, that's what I'm looking that, for. That's awesome. The first time I ever came to America was in 1984 when I was 16 years old um, because my dad did a work exchange. He came and worked at the Foothills Methodist Church, mm-hmm. which I think is in La Mesa. Wow. And I just remember being kind of blown away by the California lifestyle. Um, so that was when we were living in Cambridge. We moved around England quite a bit because dad's excuse was that he would run out of sermons after a certain number of years. So he had to move so he could recycle them. <laughs> anyway, for whatever reason, um, fairly peripatetic childhood, went to Oxford, got a law degree. Um, yay. <laughs> I was lucky. I you're, peaked. You're, like, you're, you're, uh, you're kind of sweeping that under the rug. And I understand some of the sub, s- subtext there, but... Keep going. Well, you know, it makes you sound kind of privileged, but I, I should say that um, 
and it certainly is a privilege to go to Oxford. But um, mum and dad did not have very much money. I was just fortunate that I got born at the right time to go through the British education system without it costing my parents anything. It's amazing. So totally amazing. I, I wow. and I was also very fortunate in that I peaked academically at just the right time to get into <laughs> Oxford. It was all downhill after that. Um, so I, I was supposedly doing a law degree at Oxford, but I, I tend to say that I did um, law, rowing and beer drinking and not necessarily in that order. Um, <laughs> and in fact, it's probably that. the rowing and the beer drinking that have served me best in the longer term. Sorry, but... I, obviously, I'm not promoting irresponsible drinking. No. I just want to emphasize that. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. So then I... Um, drinking and rowing is totally safe. <laughs> I certainly didn't yeah. try it on right. the Pacific. Right, 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 yeah. Right. Uh, I, I ran a dry boat. I do want to emphasize <laughs> that. Do not go rowing across oceans while no. drunk no, because no, no, no. it could end really badly. You're going to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do after that. So like most people who don't have a clue, um, I became a management consultant. Whoops. And you're, yeah, no <laughs> offense to any management no offense. consultants out there. Um, and you're how, how old at this point? 22, 21. 24, 21. And... Twenty-one and clueless. Consultant. I'm a management consultant. And I think I know from day one that I'm uh, I'm in the wrong place. Um, so something but, doesn't feel right. Yeah, you know what? That trip to California um, five years before that, oh. I and also growing up as a child of Thatcher, you know, the Thatcher-Reagan years, yeah, yeah. I really bought into that myth that um, having the good job and the big paycheck and the nice house and the cars and the everything else would make me happy. Um and so I, you know, I gave it my best shot. Right. I really tried to fit into that world because I, um, I, that was my story. Having money and all the toys sure. makes you happy. Right. Um, however. But at a very young age, I mean, some people, no names, some people, they will, it, you know, it could take 20, 30 plus years before they come to that realization. So you're very... I'm just, you know, from the outside looking in, saying you're very in tune with how you're feeling. Something's not right. Something's in, incongruous there. And, and yes, going. although it um, it took me eleven years to actually do anything okay. about it. Well, <laughs> because I I had these two things going on. Like money's money makes me happy, but I'm really miserable. So you know what's going on there. But it's funny, isn't it, how we get sort of enculturated into yeah. certain sure. myths. And we think that we're the only person in the whole world that's going, this isn't working for me. And so you try and you try to fit in because all your friends seem just fine with it. Everybody that you knows is in that same kind of work and living the same kind of a life. Yeah. And so you're like, well, it must just be something wrong with me. So I'll just keep that little insistent voice really quiet i'll keep squishing it down and hope that it goes away because this is what grown-ups are supposed to do right. we're supposed to get up at 6 a.m and get on the commuter train and go work a 12-hour day and pay into our pension plans and all of those sensible grown-up things and then you're so you say 11 years so you're 32 ish yeah and something changes and i'm going to say once again very strangely worth sharing uh, because a lot of 
the audience here knows this story. I was 35, and I think you know the story, so I didn't row across an ocean, but I I signed up. It was was very weird. It was this paddling event. So at 18, I'm like, someday I want to do that. It's paddle with your arms, mm-hmm. stand up from Catalina to Manhattan Beach. Not a big deal. It's 32 miles, but... That's pretty big deal. At 18, I'm thinking, I really want to do this. Next thing you know, you wake up, you're 35. And and the way I share the story is there's a lot of parallels here. I say I was depressed, even though I had a fairly successful company. and, And just things didn't feel right. And it's the most bizarre. So this Catalina Classic ends up leading to the Habit Factor book and app. And because the way to figure out how to paddle was tracking my habits and, and going through. Mm. So, so what I'm sharing here is I did a bucket list at 35. You had the same sort of like catalyst at 32. So what, yeah. what's happening there? At a point you're just like enough is enough. Or- well, I, I knew I eventually had to admit to myself in the face of compelling evidence um, that I actually – was extremely unhappy. Um, I wasn't thriving in my career. I could, looking back now, I can see it's because it didn't mean anything to me. There was nothing in my work that really resonated with my values without wanting to sound too spiritual about it, but I will anyway. Oh, there was it. nothing Great. in that work that fed my soul. And I can remember standing on the train platform on a, a cold winter's morning and it's dark and I... I just feel like my soul is dying. And it's there's suddenly this urgency, like I have to do something while I still have a soul to shrivel, you know, before it dies completely. And um, so I started reading self-help and personal development books and Stephen Covey, bless him, and his seven habits of highly effective people, habits. (laughs) Um, And one of his habits is begin with the end in mind. And so he suggests this exercise that you picture the ultimate end, your own funeral, and you're the one in the casket. And there are people talking about you and how you lived your life. And two versions, what do you want them to be saying? And what are they going to say if you carry on as you are? Right. And so I sat down one evening and I did this exercise and I wrote the fantasy version first, the one that I wanted them to be saying. And it was just like I'd opened a door into this parallel universe where I was living the life that I was supposed to be living. And um, my friends would be saying, I mean, apart from the fact that they were so sad and they missed me dreadfully, um, (laughs) that... um, they admired the way that I'd gone out and really lived life to the full. And I didn't always succeed, but even if I failed, I would pick myself up and dust myself off and try again that I just got out there and lived the heck out of life and wasn't held back by fear and self-limiting beliefs and all of that stuff. And it felt so real. It like I could feel what it was like to be living that life. And It was this amazing, technicolor, vivid, vivacious life. And then I had to write the version that I was actually heading for if I carried on as I was. And there was nothing wrong with it. Um, It conformed to a lot of our culture's definitions of success. Mm -hmm. It was nice and sensible. Mm -hmm. 
and comfortable and secure, if there is such a thing. Um, and it was what I had thought I wanted, but I realized in that moment that actually it wasn't what I wanted at all. Um, that having the, the big house and the three car garage actually was not what I wanted my legacy to be. Um, so I wish I could say that I went into the office the next day and immediately quit and strode out to live a life of adventure, but I didn't (laughs) because I was terrified because I didn't know anybody who was living that kind of a life. Or if I did, they were just in books or on TV. They weren't real people. They were sort of those people, you know, the brave people, the adventurers and explorers and all of those. They weren't people like me. But um, there's a danger in a little knowledge, but from the little I know about uh, sort of psychology and neuroscience, I, I feel like my subconscious in that moment when I really emotionally engaged with that vision of my potential future, um, even though I couldn't see any way of bridging the gap from my present reality to that potential reality, it was like my subconscious had gone, hell yeah, that's the life we want to be living. And so over the coming years, um, there were a number of decisions, some deliberate, some more accidental. So I quit my job. Um, my relationship ended. Um, so I moved out of our house and ended up, uh, it probably looked like a complete train wreck actually at this point. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> there I am, jobless, incomeless, chaos, homeless. Chaos and confusion always precede order. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I didn't even feel no, confused. I, I mean, I didn't really know where I was going, but I felt so free. And... I think up until that point, I'd almost, it's going to sound very ungrateful maybe, but when you're good at jumping through society's hoops, when you're good at passing exams and getting a good job and, you know, attracting a successful mate and all of those things, you get the pat on the back and that becomes quite addictive. And so for me to fail spectacularly at a few things and realize that actually it's okay, there are worse things. It was like, okay, so I've done these things that really scared me and the world's still turning. So now what can I do? It just opened up vast new horizons in my mind um, of all all the potential out there. And it was, um, okay, I'll, I'll speed over this. No, no, it's really, it's really good. And, and that leads you to? Peru. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I know that's not Machu what you were going to say. Um, I did go to Machu Picchu. Um, I, I, decided, I decided that I was, um, I was going to travel. I'd never really backpacked before. Right. And as I'm here, just sort of exploding all so of my self-limiting beliefs. Well, by now, 34. like 34. I've dabbled in a few other things. Sure. Um, I've been a photographer. Oh. I've been a baker. <laughs> uh, it was 2003. So okay. I'd be 35. 35. Right. Um, so after a two-week crash course in Spanish, um, I head over to Peru and I'm going to write a book about my travels there, which is an approach that I do recommend when you're doing a very scary thing, especially involving travel, because often in travel, things go wrong. Um, 
maybe especially in South America. What? Like, how many more people can I offend in this podcast? You're not. You're not. <laughs> uh, I just want to check in real quick. Mm. Parents, what are they? Where are they? Are they? Have they disowned you? Or are they just <laughs> loving and totally supportive? Or they're just like Roz has got to be Roz. And by the way, did you have any sibling brothers? Sisters? I've got a younger sister. Okay. She's seventeen months exactly younger wow. than me. That's fantastic. So, um, what are your parents so like? actually. I want to circle back to that. Let me just briefly talk about Peru and then the parents really come back into the frame. Um, So three and a half months traveling around Peru and it is life changing. Again, I'm doing something that scared me. And um, even when things go wrong, I'm like, well, this sucks, but it's going to make a great story for the book. So I think that that. um, uh, uh, that construct of being there to write a book enables me to be one degree detached from when things are going pear-shaped. And it it was an incredible trip. It was like life just showed up and gave me the most incredible experiences. And all I had to do was keep my journals and keep a record of everything that was happening. It was, there was laughter, there were tears, there was joy, there was bereavement. There was running into like, coincidentally or synchronistically these the it was magical right person at the right time leading you where you needed to go or to see what you needed to see or who you needed to meet yes now i know that you're <laughs> going to ask me a question later but i'm sort of going to well, jump the gun can, and mention that one of the formative books that i read about that time was the celestine prophecy oh that's and that's one of my set in Peru. Set in Peru. Yes. <laughs> and oh, so I was seeing the world through this lens of energy, energy oh, and God, synchronicity so and and it absolutely worked. Yeah. And I think that when you're experimenting with a new way of living, going to a different country, a very unfamiliar country, really, really helps because all the cards get thrown up in the air and, and you just your senses, everything because you're hyper alive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially in Peru, like the colors are so rich and and there's so much oh so much everything there. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's an amazing place, yes. And I was just so into all of that, just soaking it cool. all up. Wow. It was very cool indeed. Um, and so while so I'm cool. there, one of the things that happens is like one of the most amazing things was I went on this pilgrimage from Cusco up to. Um, a glacier in the mountains outside of there. So we traveled through the night on a castle truck and then we, we hiked and it was, there were 30,000 pilgrims all in this valley, um, for the pilgrimage of Coyoriti and, um, crazy few days. I was one of maybe 10 white faces that I saw amongst 30,000, um, of the, the Peruvian Indians. So the indigenous people who were there before the Spaniards arrived, um, just incredible. I was pretty confused because, um, Spanish was not, but you know, my Spanish was very sketchy. Also their native language was Quechua. So they only had a little bit of Spanish. So we, we, <laughs> <laughs> so they were trying to explain to me everything that was going on, but you know, we were both very much operating in a far second language. Awesome. Um, a but third language. <laughs> it helped to really surrender right. to, I have no idea what's going on, but it's all good. Wow. Um, but something really significant 
um, well, there are many significant things, but one that had ongoing significance particularly was they were telling me that every year when they go up to this glacier, they have to trek a bit further because the glacier is retreating. It's getting smaller and smaller. So this is 2003. This is before An Inconvenient Truth. And I can't even remember now whether I was aware of climate change. I think we sometimes forget from now we hear so much about it. I don't think it was on a lot of people's radar back then. And so I was like, oh, what's happening here? So when I got back to England, once I'd written the first draft of my book, I... um, What was it called? The book's called Three Peaks in Peru. It's actually never (laughs) been published. Okay. Because there were three significant mountains that I went to. I love it. And and also the three months that I was there, the story almost formed itself into these mm. three peaks of ascending height of my experience there. Three is, three is a magic number. It is, very much so. Um, um, so it's actually still the book I'm most proud of, but as yet unpublished. So any publishers yeah. out there, just saying. <laughs> I have one quick question because I think if I'm a listener, every once in a while I try to... Try to imagine what they... You said there was compelling evidence about things were failing or things were that you needed to change. So I'm going way back. Yeah. Um, just share, like, if, if it's not too personal or maybe it is and you're willing to, but a few things that, that were compelling you to make this shift to drive the obituary exercise or take yeah. the next step and be willing to be fired or quit the job or be willing to yeah. lose the relationship. Like, what was the evidence? Like, was it just um, your heart? <laughs> deep unhappiness. Okay. Um, plummeting self-esteem. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, uh, a sense that there was a serious mismatch between who I was pretending to be on the outside and who I was on the inside, but not knowing who I was on the inside. And in fact, it was, it was very sad to leave the relationship. Um, but I knew that to find out who I was, you know, it's this kind of, um, uh, at the time I thought I was, uh, like, um, I won't say unique, but, None of my friends seem to be having these doubts. But then I found out about this Jungian concept of individuation that often happens to people in their 30s or 40s, where they start asking those big existential questions of who am I? What am I here for? What is life all about? And I'd realized that life is all about having a big house was not working for me, that I needed something deeper, Um that this was a question that only I could answer, that I could read all the self-help books that I wanted, but ultimately there isn't a shortcut for doing the work. You know, we can, you and I have both written books where we're really trying to help people. Um, And I've certainly learned a hell of a lot from reading books, but ultimately you still have to find your own answers because we are all different. And it really is this deeply personal work with a capital W that I think we I don't want to say we all have to go through, but I certainly had to go through in order to find out who I was and how I could be happy. But, but those are the telltale signs I was just looking for, because I yeah. think that that's, those are the things people may relate to, whether it's self-esteem or happiness or purposefulness and, and, and all really good, all really good telltale signs. And then driving you towards this new direction. So. I think the, the unhappiness is the first clue. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, for me that that arose from the lack of congruence 
um, between yeah. what I was doing and who I thought I might and then, and be. And just trying to figure out who you really are. Yes. And th- figure out those values. So we talk, um, before we get into the next part, uh, whether it's in the course, in the book, just going through those values exercises yeah. is so critical. It really um, is. And, and even going back to the obituary exercise, did you hear uh, that that kind of is rooted in Alfred Nobel? Have you heard that story? I have heard that story. The merchant of death. Yes. Yes. He's dead. The merchant of death is dead. And yeah. he is reading that thinking, this is how I'm going to be remembered. Because his brother had died yes. and they published in the newspaper the wrong obituary. Right. Yeah. So um, I only heard about that subsequently. So that's why he founded the Nobel Peace Prize, was so that he would not be remembered as the merchant of death. All right, a quick timeout. Again, thank you so much for joining me and Habits to Goals. I hope you are digging this interview. I want to share with you something pretty cool we've just thrown out there. You can catch this either live or recorded. It's a webinar I put on. It's about 60 minutes. It goes through nine major tips. It gives you background about the habit factor, a little bit about me, and an overview, an intro to something we have put together called the 28-Day Breakthrough. Fantastic course. Really, the goal of which is it's the old, you don't feed a man a fish or woman, you teach them to fish. And so this is built above, beneath, around the habit factor, really gets in depth with mission, vision, values, some great modules around goals in particular, energy, the mastery mindset. Those are uh, modules that are included. Anyways, check it out. All you have to do is go to thehabitfactor.com forward slash 28. That's the number 28-28-DAY-WEBINAR. That's thehabitfactor.com forward slash 28-DAY-WEBINAR. You can get the info, sign up, and hopefully we'll see you on the inside. And with that, let's get back to this fantastic interview. Cheers. I think that, um, so the way I I understand the story, um, he had invented dynamite because miners before that were using gelignite, which was very unstable, and there were a lot of accidental explosions and a lot of miners being killed and maimed. So actually his intentions in inventing dynamite were good but then of course humans being humans we managed to take a good technology and turn it into something evil (laughs) Uh, and so that was how you know dynamite ended up being used in warfare and for all kinds of um, unpleasant purposes Um, so I don't know if it's really that he changed who he was or his intentions maybe he just wanted to rehabilitate his public image well the reason i Drag it back to the forefront is is it's this other other theme that I, I want to remind the listeners. I, I anchor a lot of ideas on quotes that I love. Yeah. And the idea is you cannot change, this is the quote, your destination overnight, but you can change your direction. And yes. so that's what he did, and yeah. that's what you did. Immediately change your direction. So go on. So you're in you're right. and you're working your way out of there. 
Well, just to okay. briefly to pick up on the direction, um, that obituary exercise that I did, even though the change externally was not immediately obvious, I then had a very powerful vision of where I wanted to end up, like <laughs> right at the end of my life or a few days later. Um, and I am an absolute believer, and I'll come back to this if I remember, with the rowing stories as well. I think it's so, so important, especially when we're looking at making big, scary changes in our lives, to have a very clear vision of the what and the why. Like, what do I want to achieve by the end of my life and why does that matter to me? And if we don't know the answers to that, I, I absolutely think this is the most important work that we can ever do. Right. Because... Yeah, coming back to the the course adjustments, right. um, you know, I <laughs> I've taken a few like juddering turns in my life, which is not it worked for me. Um, might be a bit traumatic for some people, um, uh, so it doesn't have to be quite as dramatic as that. You don't have to do as I did, which was leap out of the aeroplane and then start making my parachute. I yeah. think there are like ways to let yourself out of the plane a bit more gradually or, you know, have made your parachute before you take the leap. But um, one way and another, you know, I've ended up in a good place sure. um, with, you know, a, a working parachute. So, so that's all good. Yeah. And, and I'm going to hit you with another quote then. So the idea is we don't have to see the entire staircase. Just yeah. the next step. Oh, that's becoming <laughs> increasingly true for me as I get older, actually. Okay. I still think it's important to have a vision, but also yeah. Yeah. I sometimes call it the bifocal approach, which is <laughs> I, I want to know right. where the destination is and I will focus on what I need to do right now, today, to get one step close to that. But I can't possibly know everything that's going to happen in between. And I'd probably go into complete meltdown if I did try to no, process so, all of and, that. And there's so much, there's so much to get into. Um, and, and I know I promise you it would be a certain amount of time. So having said that, take me back to Peru. And, and the environmental we, yeah. awakening. Yes. So the two things that, well, I came back from Peru with many things, but um, with regards to the environment, um, one was this memory of the retreating glaciers, and the other one was that indigenous respect for Pachamama, as they call Mother Nature in South America. But I think in um, in the UK, and I think in the US, we tend to think of Mother Nature as being this very benign, forgiving nurturing kind of an entity whereas Pachamama she gets mad <laughs> and if you disrespect her you're gonna suffer for it sure. uh you know earthquakes and right. tsunamis and wow. you know bad stuff so um volcanoes, <laughs> volcanoes. and and so when I got back to England I did my research I started finding out about all our environmental challenges and I got so fired up I was um, I was kind of like my hair was on fire. I was like, I have to do something. You know, I was almost hyperventilating, right, 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 right. going, but this is terrible. And, yes. and how come I didn't know about this? And right. then I looked around and I thought, well, from the way they're behaving, it seems like a lot of other people don't know about this stuff either. And so I desperately wanted to do something. Um, but I was still just, you know, a recovering management consultant and wannabe writer. I love that. Um, and so that wasn't a very compelling platform. Um, and then I happened to make friends with this guy via the Royal Geographical Society in <laughs> London. Um, 
make friends with this guy who had rowed across the Atlantic um, with, of all people, his mother. Oh, my. <laughs> OMG. 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 At the time, actually, this is terribly disrespectful, but I thought, how hard can it be if someone's mum can row across an ocean? Ooh, I know how yeah. to row. Um, uh, actually, I, I, funnily I enough, funnily from. enough, she, she was the age I am now when they did that voyage. Oh. <laughs> um, Time. And so I, I will say, though, uh, it didn't immediately strike me as something I wanted to do. Sure. Um, I Dan, under, I can understand. He told me about how every sunset they'd have gin and tonics, and that bit, I oh dear, we're back to <laughs> alcohol again, aren't we? Um, that bit I thought I could do, but the rest of it sounded quite miserable to me. But I think it just lodged somewhere. Hmm. So a few months later, I'm still trying to figure out. Like, I'm asking these big questions: How can I support this environmental cause? And um, this is where my parents sort of come back into it because uh, summer of 2004, um, my dad had a stroke oh, no. and um, at the age of 75. And it was around that time as I was driving from the south to the north of England. Um, I'd, I'd already been up there once or twice to see him, but I'm driving back up. And um, like a long drive and you know how you're, your brain just sort of goes into like alpha waves. Yeah. It's like the chattering brain subsides for a little while and the subconscious can get a worded edgeways and sparks of insight like bulb over the head moment. Yes. Talk to me. I will row across oceans to raise environmental awareness. Yay. Oh, better. There we (laughs) go. That's a high five over the mic. (laughs) Probably didn't sound good on the mic, but that's all right. Um, and so that came on a drive. It did. Yeah. And I mean, it's such good thinking time, no, isn't it, when you're best. on a long journey? So my, my quick theory on this is that if some people believe in this idea of super conscious, and, mm. and, and so the, the, the conduit to that, I believe, is the subconscious. Mm. And so that's why when you're brushing your teeth, you're doing something habitual. Yeah. You go into subconscious mode, and then you're like, oh, I can invest here, or I can do this. The point is the spark of insight comes when you're in subconscious mode. So Edison took a nap. Einstein, I don't know what he did, rode his bike. You Played his you violin. Drive, I, I think drive. he played yeah, his yeah, violin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the, the habituation that leads to subconscious, which is the link yeah and i think we can we can deliberately once we're aware of that process we can use it like we can take a nap if i could play the violin i would um but you know we couldn't step away from the problem in fact um cool we really are going into all my bad habits here as well but i used to smoke and i would have so many good ideas while i had to step outside for my 10 minute cigarette break and of course i'm breathing you know it's my (laughs) Um, that's crazy that you smoke but I can I see that as a management recovering management consultant got it well you know it was London in the early 90s believe me I was not the only smoker in my circle <laughs> um, I yes. know you weren't I haven't had a cigarette since so 2004 that's the spark now, of insight and then mm. let's get into so your your first voyage probably, actually can I just say yeah, a little bit more about please, that because please. I think there's something we're, important we're on, that sorry, has we're to, on your time frame <laughs> There's something so, important that has to happen yes. after the light bulb moment. Action. <laughs> because, you know, that is the call to adventure mm-hmm. in like 
the hero's journey. And to emphasize that, I'm not saying I'm a hero. I'm not saying no, 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 you no, have no. to be heroic to have a hero's journey because the sort of archetypal story is there is the call to adventure. And at first the hero goes, Denied. no, yeah. think you got the wrong guy. I think you meant to go next door. Um, cause that's not <laughs> me. No, that's not really my thing. Rejection. Yeah. Um, and so after the light bulb moment, immediate thought was that's perfect. Second thought was that's insane. Like I've, I've spent, I think four days sailing in my life. I don't know the ocean. I, I know nothing about this. I've never had a big adventure. I'm not that kind of person, like all of these reasons and excuses and get out clauses, why that's not my job. Um, so I spent a week sort of battling backwards and forwards. And I used to say, and of course, like in this battle between the head and the heart or the conscious and the subconscious or whatever, I said, inevitably the heart won. And then someone went to me, they said, that's not inevitable at all. So a lot of people have this battle between the head and the heart, the, heart, the conscious and the subconscious. And often it's the sensible grown up voice going, don't be silly. You know, it's a terribly bad idea. Right. You'll only regret it. That's right. <laughs> and so often, we give in to that one. Correct. Because the other ones, uh, you know, Steve Jobs quote about the crazy ones. That's right. Yeah. But I suppose <laughs> I had done so much work by that point on, you know, all of these exercises and I've been hanging out with very cool friends got like it, my mentors. It, and it. I realized that if I didn't answer this call, then I would be betraying all of that work that I'd done, <laughs> all of the progress that I'd made. And I just couldn't do that who to did, myself. Who did you tell while you were still unsure? I didn't tell anybody while I was uh, unsure. <laughs> and then even when because you were, then wait, they start coming up with all the reasons. Sure, who did you tell? Well, I told my mum. Okay, that's about it. That was the commitment. But just put yourself in my yeah. poor mum's shoes oh. for a moment. So there she is. Her husband's in hospital, having had a severe oh. stroke. And her daughter wants to go die in the middle of the land. Exactly. So oh. mum just kind of went, hmm, nice weather we've been having recently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Completely changed the subject. Mm. Um, and, you know, of course she was overwhelmed. Right. Um about three weeks later, my father died. Oh. Um, you know, as, as deaths go, um, I'm glad he didn't have a long and protracted illness. Right. Um, so I did tell him about um, my intention, but um, he wasn't really functioning all that well by then. Um, actually, uh, my sister, much more directly as a result of my father's death, decided at that time that life was short and that she was going to go travel around the world. For 12 wow. months. You inspired her. No, 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 yes. no, no. Yes. Do not suggest that I to know. my little sister. I know, that I, I know, I know. But no, she entirely, yeah. she entirely made up her own mind. <laughs> <laughs> and I do want to say that she has gone on to do the uh, Pacific Crest Trail, many other, like the Camino de Santiago. Oh, sure. And this year she's going to she's, she's, Don't but say she, that I about know, my little sister. She, she is her own we person. We're not going to let her know about this. <laughs> We all have little siblings that have the same challenges. Maybe I'm a chip off her block. Right, anyway, maybe, uh, let's say we're both chips off my mum's block because mum, mum definitely has the adventure gene. I love it. Yeah. So, um, and my sister's doing the Continental Divide Trail this summer. So, if you're anywhere in Colorado, New Mexico, maybe. Uh, <laughs> Somewhere along the Continental Divide. Somewhere between there and Montana, <laughs> Wyoming. 
I've missed out a state somewhere. Love it. Apologies to people in the state I've missed out. Um, so uh, I was committed and 14 hectic, crazy months later, I set out on my first ocean. And, you, and, and obviously we, we're going to, we'll do this again. We, we don't have time for all the, there's a ton of preparation, ton of research, you're, you're reading, you're studying, you're talking to people who lots know of this, courses, do this. Lots of conversations. But yeah. then you set out. Yes. And it's just you and you, right? I mean, you have radio communication, some form of cellular contact. How? I have a satellite phone. Satellite yeah. phone. That's what I was thinking. Yes. And for most of that voyage. How, it didn't work for the last 24 days. Well, that's where I was going to go. So yeah. what was the longest period where you're talking to nobody? 24 days? 24 days of... Uh, not speak to anybody at all other than myself and the ocean. Um, but the longest that I've been without seeing another person is five months. Five months. Yeah, that was the Indian Ocean. And and so I am fascinated by that solitary confinement. <laughs> With hard labor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, talk a bit about that. I would love to. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's a real privilege to have had that time to quite literally step off the earth and um I've probably done more self-reflection than is quite healthy although actually I say that a bit glibly I think that that inner work that we do um is incredibly important and especially that first voyage when um for the, I did have a stereo on board, but for the first month I couldn't use it because everything on my boat was solar powered and there wasn't enough sunshine oh. to power anything other than the essentials, which right. the water maker, the GPS and the satellite phone. Um, then about two days after the sun came out, <laughs> the stereo stopped working. So oh. I, after three and a half months on that crossing, I had music for two days. The rest of the time I was literally alone with my own thoughts. And Fantastic. <laughs> At the time, I mean, it was brutal. Absolutely brutal. Right. I went in some dark places. Um, yeah, so talk about that. Doubts and... A lot of doubts. Um, a lot of... Doubt. A lot of... talk about the dark place, but the doubt. <laughs> I mean, like, how are you talking yourself through the doubts? Um, different days, I had different motivations. Um, sometimes it was... I really want to find out what I'm capable of. Other days it was, I really want to support the environmental mission. Other days it was, I uh, really, really don't want to go back to the office. Uh, you know, it was just whatever it, it took. Whatever it took. So I love yeah. that. And you had changing motivations from one day to the next. Just whatever inspired yeah, me on that particular it. day. No, that's great. I needed yeah. about a thousand different reasons Coping why. mechanisms. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I then was... you're telling yourself, I'm guessing things like, just another, I mean, when it gets really, really bad, like just another hour, just another day, one day at a time. Sometimes it'd be I mean, just, just take another 10 all strokes because I would get so frustrated uh, and so bored. Right. Like it was a lot of boredom, boredom interspersed with brief periods of terror. Um, but you just get so like, I'm so sick of myself. And, uh, and you just want to like throw down the oars and, you know, go to sleep, just to get away from your own head for a bit um but i found that if i you don't get across the ocean any faster if you keep wimping out on um on your rowing shifts so as time went on i got <laughs> much much better at sticking to my disciplined routine awesome. and i found that when i was having a real slump of a moment if i could just do 
10 more oar strokes, which takes about 30 seconds, then I would often just, it was enough to get me out of that real crisis moment of, I can't stand this a moment longer. But what a great parallel for just like all of us in, in the day to day when, when, and, and obviously we're not in the middle of an ocean and we're not going through that hardship, but the point is just another 10 strokes or just another 30 seconds or just another hour it's not as bad necessarily as as it might seem. Like, what, yeah. what stories are we creating? You I know? just want to take a little diversion Please into do. a conversation that I had with a, a channel swimmer, like a long-distance swimmer. Right. So, you know, he's doing, you know, 20 or 30 miles on a swim. And he said that the reason that a lot of long-distance swimmers fail is not because they've reached their limit of exhaustion, but because they reach a point where they become afraid of the moment of exhaustion, they they feel tired and they're like, oh my God, if I'm feeling this tired after 10 miles, how am I going to feel after 15? That's right. And so they psych themselves out. It's a negative projection. Yeah, before they're actually physically exhausted, but it's the expectation of exhaustion that does for them. In taking that inventory on a moment-by-moment basis. I mean, so so talk about what were you doing for nutrition and then sleep. How much sleep were you getting? <laughs> it really varied. Um, I don't know exactly. I, don't know. I would do four shifts of three hours uh, of rowing with right. an hour off in between. So that takes 15 hours out of the day. Right. So then I've got... Um, I've got nine hours left for like evening meal, bathe, brush teeth, write blog, wow. upload blog, um, awesome. talk to mum and sleep as best I can. Um, but the boat's constantly tipping around yeah. and I'm a light sleeper anyway, but you also sort of want to be a light sleeper on the right. ocean in case, you know, there's a storm blowing up or there's a container ship coming along uh. or whatever. Um but you're just really happy not to be rowing. So yeah. I, was, I was happy just like to be off my backside and, you know. And your hands got destroyed, I'm guessing. I wore gloves. So I did get, I got awesome calluses, but right. um, the point of wearing the gloves was not to get open blisters because right. those would get quite infected. Um, for food, I had freeze-dried meals. I snack bars, nuts, dried fruit, grew mine bean sprouts on board. Um, as time went on with the later voyages, I got much more sort of refined. Um, I had raw food crackers that I would make on dry land and take with me. Um, I um, had nut butters and um, <laughs> oh, um, Great. oatmeal, and I would add powdered coconut milk to practically everything. I mean, it's just such yummy stuff and very high in calories. Right. And yeah, even in like a chili con carne. I mean, you could put it in anything. <laughs> Um, so I actually, uh, with the subsequent voyages, the two big bribes that I used to get myself back out there again, because, you know, it's it's hard doing this stuff. Even on a good day, it's hard. Um, especially, this will make you laugh, I don't particularly like exercise. Well, I'm really just <laughs> yes. not that into it. Um, well, that's inspiring for many, many listeners, I'm sure. <laughs> I have not the darkened the door of a gym for six years has, now. Has any <laughs> other woman done what you have done no okay. not yet <laughs> Unbelievable. yeah i mean there was some turkish dude got there the year before i did yeah, but, uh, but your accomplishment <laughs> is truly unparalleled i mean it's just it's amazing so it, it sometimes amazes me actually it, it, 
It is definitely well a triumph, <laughs> a triumph of motivation over inclination. So, so you're saying somehow you've motivated yourself to go back out for a second and a third row. <laughs> well, even more than that, because the Pacific um, I did in three stages over the course of three years. Mm-hmm. So each of those was really an expedition Got in it. itself. I had to do work on the boat and restock um, in between each voyage. So just the logistics of it, like the, um, you know, the, sorting out getting boat repair equipment to the Republic of Kiribati in the middle of the Pacific. You know, it's, I just, I mean, but you just planning and preparing and practicing the three P's plan, prepare, practice. It's amazing. But you prepare like your life depends on it because, because it does. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, we could keep going. I know. Yeah. We're kind of up against it. I want to hit some of my typical questions. You know what? It's one of my standard questions. So I'll back it up and work our way to our close since we are rounding third base here. So this is the question. Mm -hmm. How do you battle through tough days? Um, Well, the (laughs) glib answer is it's very difficult to quit in the middle of an ocean. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. (laughs) You can come up on the deck and go, I've had enough. Like, I've had it up to here. I'm done. That's so great. And then there's no quitting. There is no quitting. Yeah. So you just have to hang on in there and find a way to be with yourself for that long. Um, Something I really want to say about that is if we were having this conversation 20 years ago, Mm. Uh, I would be such a different person. Um, certainly from the inside, I feel like night and day. Um, and one of the things that I used to believe that I now know is completely wrong. I used to believe that you had to have courage before you did something like this. You had to have perseverance before you did something like this. You had to have all of these like gritty qualities before you could have a big adventure. And that's completely the wrong way around. You get these things by taking the action, by having the adventure. And that unleashes all of these things that you have inside. You don't get courageous by sitting on the couch eating chocolate chip cookies. You have to get out there and test yourself. I am so in love with that comment because I write over and over and over about habit. And and my point is grit is a habit. Yeah. And courage and all these things, these are traits that – grow stronger with use just like a muscle yeah and and so taking that first step is is in many ways the hardest thing to do it is and that's when you need the motivation so i needed that catalyst of my environmental awakening to give me the motivation to actually start taking the action which then called forth out all of these things that I didn't even know I had until I got onto the ocean so so I have a course called the 28 day breakthrough and the foundation is built with purpose and values and all these things getting the foundation squared away the reasons why yeah so so the next question is how do you Roz Savage define success (laughs) if it's it's a moving Mm. target maybe and, and a lot of people have different for me, I found. yeah, for me, I would say, um, I could go on about this a lot, but I think at its essence, it's inner peace. It's knowing that I am doing what I'm here to do, that 
congruity, congruence between who I am and what I'm doing. So I don't even particularly have to paradoxically succeed in that kind of success. It's just knowing that I showed up and I did my best. I love it. (laughs) Purposefulness. Um, This is called the Habits to Goals podcast. So I'm wondering if you could share maybe your three best habits as you see them and maybe one that you're trying to uh, change or modify. But we'll start with the good ones first. Um, Journaling. Awesome. Um, I've been journaling, well, (laughs) on and off since I was eight. Um, I took a break from about 18 to 32. (laughs) Um, But um, from 32 to 50, um, I don't journal every day, but I notice that I feel a lot better if I do. And if I haven't journaled for about a week, then I'm pretty much a pain to be around. Um, For me, it's partly a record of what's going on, but it's much more a sense-making exercise and weaving together stuff that's happening on the outside, thoughts of having from the inside, spiritual learnings, um, just really a lot of it is about self-definition and uh, who am I, how am I showing up, how am I spending my time Um, and also incidentally if you think you don't have time to journal you'll probably find that if you do make an hour or two a week to journal, you'll find that a lot of the stuff you're spending your time on, you don't actually need to be doing because it's not taking you towards your goals. It gives you clarity. It I does. Mean, I don't do it hardly as much as I want to, but when I do do it, I feel so much more clear. I love it. And I, I find it important to do it by hand. I have these beautiful notebooks that look mm. like old leather. They're not, but they look that way. And a nice gel tip pen. And so just the process of forming letters, um, I think it does something in my brain that feels very good and very relaxing. And um, I love it. Uh, So that's my number one habit. Um, In the mornings, I um, have a nice little session of stretching and meditating. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) That uh, just gets the day off to a really good start. Um, don't manage it 100%, but again, I know that I feel a lot better when I do. And meditation means many different things to different people. To me, it's just going as quiet and still and as relaxed as I can to try and be that empty vessel, um, to discipline my mind to shut the hell up for a few minutes and allow something else good, to come through. To come in. Yeah, because I feel that the best things that I've done have been when I surrender to what I'm being called to do. It's beautiful. Um, I'm running out of good habits here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, those are great. Those are fantastic. I I will also say I've just started blogging again after about eight months off. And I do really enjoy it again as a, um, for me, it's sort of an accountability process, even if nobody reads my blog post. Although folks, they are really good. Everybody reads your blog. It, it, it makes me feel that I need to have something good to report on a weekly basis. That's fantastic. Um, so those are really important. Oh, and my 10,000 steps a day. I'm sitting here with wow. my Fitbit on. Well, because I don't go to the gym, but I love walking. I find walking Walking's also good amazing. for the brain. Yeah. Walking's amazing. And walking and talking, like it's a new way to have a meeting. It, it's really good. Yeah. Um, so those are my good habits. 
Um, what would I like to do? I really want to go here. You don't have to. <laughs> I always leave it optional, but it, it's entertaining. <laughs> you do not have to. In the interest of time, we can keep moving. Um, well, I, um, <laughs> a lot of my friends are giving up alcohol, which oh. I fully commend support. and support just and applaud. Right. I'm just not willing to go there. Right. Um, but I, I have quite a number of friends who are sort of, uh, energy workers in various right. ways. And so it's sure. very important to them sure. to be a really super clear. clear channel. I feel like we're in the same place. So what I started doing is having certain days that are on off days yeah. rather than, cause I believe in moderation. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that's fantastic. Transformative books. You, you mentioned the Celestine prophecy earlier. Yeah. Is there anything else worth talking about? We're almost finished here. Um, environmentally, I, I loved Ishmael. Okay. Um, again, it's oh. a, um, a novel that puts across some very important concepts. It's really about hu how humans are um, abusing the earth um, and how we sort of fight this impossible race against hunger. Um, but as soon as we figure out ways to grow more food, we just produce more people. So we never actually win that race. Um, it, it really changed the way that I saw the relationship between humans and nature, yeah. that we are part of nature. Yeah. And at the moment, we seem to be living out this narrative that we're separate from nature, that it's there purely to serve us. Um, but that's a very dangerous story because we live in the ultimate closed loop system of planet Earth. And we're kind of becoming victims of our own success like we've been wildly successful oh, I but think, i think we're the ultimate victims the irony with the save the earth is the the earth, the earth is, is fine. fine yes that's what I, I absolutely mean, absolutely agree with that just shake it's the humans like a bad yeah disease it's the humans <laughs> i worry about and although i have days when i'm not that keen on humans right, right. um even so most of my best friends are humans right. and i'd like us to I'd like to see us be around yeah, for a while it would be yet. Nice. I'd also just like to mention conversations with God. Was oh. even though I, uh, having been brought up by two Methodist preachers, I went through a, a real stage of um, awesome. uh, not being into the the G word. Um, but the phrase in that that rocked my world was that we we have. Um, I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, we have a duty to be the grandest version of the greatest vision that we ever had of ourselves, mm. not in a self-aggrandizing right. way, but to raise the average level of consciousness. So when we raise ourselves up, we raise everybody up. Yeah. So actually wow. it's the most generous thing that we can do in the yeah. world is to be our best it selves. Be your best self. wow. But that phrase that gave me permission to really dream big. I don't think I would have had the audacity to even think it. about rowing across the oceans if it weren't for that concept of the grandest version of the greatest vision. And I love that take because it it's not about you. It's about others. Absolutely. <laughs> it's about us. Right. right. Yeah. And, and not just high five. Oh. Not just. Oh, that was the best one yet. Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> well, with practice, we're going to get better. Um, OK. Any other book before we move on? No, I like threes. Yeah, I think we've done threes. three now. So a website, tech tool, gadget, app, anything that you just, besides the phone itself, that you can't live without. 
Well, obviously, I love my GPS. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I should also laugh at this, but I have the world's worst sense of direction. So, that is um, so funny. I have my lovely little Irish man in my phone that tells me where to go. Um, Evernote, I use a lot. Um, also, Evernote. Evernote. On the software, um, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be meeting the developers in Mexico of some up-and-coming software called the New Map, N-O-O, Map. If you go to newmap.info and there... N-O-O? Yeah, as in... N-O-O? Yes, new map. And it's like the (laughs) noosphere, which the the noosphere is like the collective consciousness. Got it, got it. And so they're developing this incredibly gorgeous software to... the, The concept is to enable us to connect with each other almost like neurons reaching out dendrites i think hoping anyway <laughs> i love that. Uh, my neuroscience technology correct that terminology um so that we can connect much more seamlessly around concepts and ideas to kind of map global consciousness through technology that i want to see uh, me too Roz, yeah. you have been absolutely brilliant I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, I thank you so much. You've enjoyed it as much as I have. I'm so glad I have persisted, and I'm also glad you happened to mention you were in the area. Me too. The blue. I know. The other thing I forgot to bring up in the open, ladies and gentlemen listening, is Roz wrote the foreword. Of the habit factor, because the app came out first, even though I started the book, I did the app, and I came back, and I'm like, this superhero woman, if she would please write this foreword, I had to beg her again, and uh, she was kind enough to do that. So thank you so much for writing the foreword. It's people talk to me all all the time about it, honestly. And then they, they, they learn about you. So hopefully it's been good for both of us, but fantastic for what it's all about a win-win um but it was just something that i believe in so much that you know i'm sure you say this in the book that we tend to underestimate uh sorry overestimate how much we can achieve in a day i know i always do and underestimate how much we can achieve by consistent effort over time and my five million oar strokes across three oceans are kind of the epitome of that million (laughs) freaking oar strokes all right finally I'd love to ask if there's anything we can promote, any website we can direct people to. This may not even air for another month or so mm-hmm. um, because I'm queuing up some of my interviews and I like to sprinkle them because they're so good. <laughs> um, but but so I'm just saying that from a timeliness. Like if you had an event tomorrow, probably not good to mention it, but, but a website where they can find yeah. out more. Yeah. Well, I would love to stay in touch if anything about what I've said today has resonated with you. Um, I will, um, I'm also, oh, it's a bit too early to talk about it, but sneak preview. Um, I am in the midst of devising a global women's network. There's so many um, women that listen to the show. It's yeah. crazy. I'm serious. Um, well, it's, you know, I don't want to leave the boys out, but right. I think that um, we do need a rebalancing of the masculine and feminine sure, energies sure. in the world. And yeah, I would yeah, like yeah. at some point in the future for this to be everybody. But for now, I think we need to have a safe space to promote women just to bring us up to equality. Um, and this is not anti-men at no. all. This is not 
Me Too. Um, This is what's going to come after Me Too when we've when there's been this venting. Um, It's to fill that vacuum. Then once we've said what we don't want is to say, what do we want? What is our vision of the future where masculine and feminine are in balance, not just in the world as a whole, but in in each of us individually. So when you say, is it, is it business women? Is it just women in general? Is it, is it a certain age group? I'm just trying to narrow if, if, if necessary, may not women from 16 open. to 600. Wow. I hope okay. that'll cover it. And 600, they slow up a lot. They do a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I know there's a lot of networks out there for business women. There's also a lot at the more spiritual end. I, I, we're sort of all of that, but mostly occupying the middle ground. This yeah. is not just about business okay. networking. Thank this God. is about, this is really for women who are interested in creating a better future. And so if you want to hear more about that, yes, I better give you my website address. Yes, please um, do. It's R-O-Z if you're British yeah. or Z if you're American. Um, and I'm not quite sure about the rest of the world, but we don't have time to go through 198 countries. Roz. RozSavage.com. S-A-V-A-G-E. Mm-hmm, just and like it sounds. Com. .com. Roz, once again, absolutely brilliant. I could do this for another three hours with a beer or something. Uh, One of these days we'll, we will. Yeah, we'll get you back in the studio. Thank you so much. It's been an honor and a privilege and a pleasure. Pleasure's say, all say mine. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from. If there's one thing I know, and I think Jim Rohn was the one who said this originally, in five years, the difference in your life will be largely based upon two things, the books you've read and the relationships you have fostered. Doesn't it make sense to take advantage of the downtime, whether you're on the road, on a run, in the gym, kill a couple birds with one stone, get a book going? It's phenomenal. It's The more people I turn on to it, the more uh, compliments I get. Not that I've actually done anything. 180,000 titles to choose from. You get one free book a month, 30% off any other book. Again, check it out. Audibletrial.com forward slash habits to goals. I'm going to say that again real quick. Audibletrial.com forward slash habits to goals. And that is the number two. And of course, when you support our sponsors, you are supporting the show. So thank you again. I am extremely grateful. We'll see you at the next episode.